opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I want to thank all of you. Just a big, I want to give you this big radio hug, everybody out there. I want to just thank you guys so much for tuning us in, turning us on. And, you know, one of you um, asked earlier today, they were like, man, have you really been doing this for 10 years? And I thought to myself, that is really true. You know, I have been doing this for 10 years. But it doesn't seem like it. And I think that part of this is because when you truly step into that, that thing, that purpose, that thing that you know that you are called here to do, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like beautiful, beautiful warm air that you step into when you walk out off the plane, uh, as you step foot on the island of Oahu or Maui or wherever it is and you feel that breeze. That's what this is about for me. It's not that we haven't or, you know, many of us haven't had to go through as, you know, one of my, my mentors used to say to me, you know, sometimes you gotta go through the ropes and learn how to step into things. You've gotta learn what you actually don't know. Today, I get to have a really cool conversation. I am so excited about this show. I cannot, I, I, I honestly, it's just like, I don't even know what to say. But joining me today is someone that has had a very, very interesting life. And I was reading his book, and I was reading all about him. And I thought to myself, when I, when I die, and I come back, and I'm reincarnated, I want to come back as my guest what he did in this lifetime. I get to talk with Russell Tark, who is joining us here today, a physicist, scientific researcher, author, who honestly, you know, some of the things he's done as he's contributed so much, you know, in the world that we think about, laser, laser communications, you know, he has been honored. He has been absolutely prestigious in this world of science. But he has done something else. You know, beyond hundreds of papers on what he's done, he is also someone that can put in the same sentence, in a bio, plasma physics and ESP research. And you look at this and you say, what? Did I really read that? And then you go on to find out more about him. And you pick up his book, The Reality of ESP. A physicist proof of, and, and you take a look at this and you read this book, right? 
and you get to take this journey. And, And I can't help that this is the kind of stuff they make movies about. You know, this this is the kind of evidence that shows up, and the next thing you know, you have a phenomenon. And so today, I want to invite all of you down the pathway with my guest and with me today. You know, this co-founder who has worked for the innovative CIA-sponsored Stanford Research Institute. You know, this is where psychic abilities were tested for two years. And it's so interesting that we get to talk about something that people experience every day. You know, that left-hand lane that you actually didn't put your car in because, mm, why, you felt like, oh, something was just not right about it. Or maybe going across the street and you thought for a minute, oh, wait, I don't really want to walk even though that light says that I should. Today's show is for everyone out there that has has felt that, that has heard an inner voice, that has at some point in time in their lives got a sense that there is something greater than what our mind would actually tell us there is. Tune in each week on TransformationTalkRadio.com, Wednesday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern Time, and express and experience the infinite possibilities waiting in each and every moment as you listen to From the Heart with Elizabeth Cookson. Get ready for a packed hour of laughter, tears, and a soul full of emotions as Elizabeth raises your vibration and shifts your spirit. For more information about Elizabeth and to schedule a session, visit ElizabethCookson.com. Tune in each Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on TransformationTalkRadio.com for The Awakening Radio with Patricia. This hit show awakens your dormant, divine, feminine energy. The Awakening Show is the next step on your evolutionary journey through life. Get ready to awaken the dormant seedings within you, your soul's encodement, power, and purpose. And bring this forward with confidence and clarity through the power of your own voice. This show promises to boldly go where you've been before. You just need to remember. Be inspired. Become rewired with The Awakening Radio. Visit AwakeningRadio.com for weekly topics. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Um, My gosh. This is what happens when you talk about a subject like this. It's so really cool. Um, we're going to be talk. We're talking with Russell Targ here today. Russell, thank you for joining us. You know, uh, that introduction. I barely scratched the surface of what your life has been like and the and the groundbreaking uh, work that you've done. I, I've got to ask you this question before we get into this. What the heck was it like being you? Well, if you live long enough, you get to do a lot of interesting things. <laughs> okay. I started out doing magic on the stage in New York when I was in graduate school because I could wander around 42nd Street and watch the magicians in the basement of the flea circus, and then I could go upstairs and buy magic from the magicians in the various magic stores. So all through graduate school, I was doing stage magic for bar mitzvahs and art openings and various things in New York, and I began to have psychic experiences on stage where I would pretend to read somebody's mind and an image would come to me that pertained to that person so I could supplement my trickery 
with whatever images came my way. And after a while, as a young scientist, I thought it'd be more interesting to understand the research that was going on than at Duke University with J.B. Rhine. So I met him and began to understand what professional ESP researchers were doing. But one of the things I understood is it's not possible to make a living doing ESP research at that time. Mm -hmm. So I continued my laser work, and I was a laser physicist for 15 years. And in the course of that, my spare time, I built an ESP teaching machine, helped people get in touch with their psychic abilities. And I should say that ESP trainer is now a free application for the iPhone. That's mm. my guess, my gift to all your listeners. They can just go to the application store and download this four choice trainer. That's very important because I brought that to a meeting with Werner von Braun and NASA. Von Braun did excellently with my ESP game, and he told the head of NASA to give us some money to study it. And that's how the program at SRI got started. A meeting out in St. Simon's Island. Wow. And off Georgia, where I was there with Arthur C. Clarke and Werner von Braun and astronaut Edgar Mitchell. Yeah. So it was Mit Mitchell and von Braun were very helpful to convince NASA to let us start our program at Stanford. Yeah, I, I, for me this is exciting. I'm so yeah, I gotta say I'm so I'm so thrilled to 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 really have this conversation with you because you know. <clears throat> Well, you and I have a couple of things in common. Um, I'm from New York. I did go to Columbia University. Um, I, I totally get what it's like to be, you know, walking around in Manhattan, whether it's to see a magic show or other things. So did you ever walk down to the basement of Hubert's Flea Circus and see the magician? I wish I would have done that. I didn't, though. But I wish I would have. That would probably be too dangerous for a girl. Oh, yeah, I would imagine that. There are a lot of places in the city that are. But here's what I, here's what I'm so thrilled about. I mean, you, you, you were part of, said, a movement that wasn't really recognized by the general population when this research was going on. Oh, no, you know, I was a, I was a child theosophist. Mm. I was, I, I was 20 years old in graduate school and going to meetings of the Theosophical Society at Midtown Manhattan. Mm. And that's where I learned about angels in the backyard and Annie Besant, who could close her eyes and see the atoms in a block of hydrogen. And they had a lot of data from the 19th century that the great psychic theosophical people were able to see and was only verified and revealed tens of years later. So theosophists were way ahead of the other ESP researchers in America. Mm. Mm. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, and let's talk about the book for a minute, um, The Reality of ESP. And, you know, many people think about research and they think, oh, give me data. But this is really different. I mean, you are were part of conducting a number of different studies, and, I, and let's just talk about one of them. To, well, to I call get... it a physicist's proof of psychic ability. Yeah. The evidence is now so strong mm -hmm. that it's unreasonable to doubt the existence of ESP. Because mm -hmm. the the statistics supporting psychic abilities is ten times stronger than statistics saying you should take an aspirin 
to prevent heart attacks. Wow. So uh, the data from many, many ESP studies is, is odds of a million to one, uh, and it's much stronger than the National Institute of Health data saying aspirin is good for you. So you can't prove anything mathematically that's a fact of nature, but the evidence for ESP is now so strong, I felt that I had to write one more book, and this one's called The Reality of ESP, and I talk all about the work we did for the CIA for 20 years that had been classified secret, and one of my accomplishments is to get that declassified so I can tell you about it without our going to jail. Mm-hmm. Why do you think why do you think that um, the government or any institution wants this to, to be kept a secret? You well, know, what is the fear? It was a secret when here? we were doing it. It was a secret when we were doing it during the Cold War because mm-hmm. <clears throat> we were spying on the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians. So half of our the deal we made with the devil. See, my partner and I went to the CIA and said, "We we we know what you're up to." And we think we can help. This is a Cold War, and we're scientists, and we're in favor of intelligence rather than ignorance. And we propose to give you information about what's going on in the world, operational information, and we'll do that with half our time. We want to spend the other half our time understanding how ESP works. Mm. And the very thoughtful head of intelligence at CIA said, if you can describe... Our favorite current site in Russia will support you. Mm. And we went back working with the psychic policeman, Pat Price, and he said, okay, I'm lying in the sunshine on top of a building, and the giant crane is rolling over my body. It was the biggest damn crane I ever saw, and he drew a picture of that. And I show that in the book. And then he said, and inside this building... The people are building a giant steel sphere, 60 feet in diameter, and they're welding it together. And he drew a picture of all of that. And we then brought that down to the vault where the CIA agent was waiting for us. And he said, well, you've got a very good drawing of the giant gantry crane, which we have a picture of. We don't know about the sphere. And unfortunately, it took two years to verify the sphere, and Pat Price died. But when they rolled the big sphere out, the CIA said, you're describing exactly the right place. And it looks like the Russians are building a particle beam weapon to shoot down our satellites that are taking the pictures. And Mm. they then supported us all the way from 1972 to 1995. They're very impressed because we had information that no one in the Western world knew about. So they they were convinced that we were the real McCoy. And Pat Price was a great psychic. He was involved in helping us uh, in the Patricia Hearst case when the daughter of William Randolph Hearst was kidnapped from Berkeley. Uh, The Berkeley police called us and said, can you help find the heiress? Can you help find Patricia Hearst? And we went to Berkeley with the police commissioner, and Pat said, well, I want to see your mug book the big picture book with all the photographs of the usual suspects. They laid down on a big wooden table, and Price turned the pages with four pictures to a page, 
turned it page after page and put his finger on one man's face. Said, that's the ringleader. And that was Donald DeVries, who was the ringleader, but nobody knew then. Mm. And they said, well, we know DeVries. He escaped from prison a year ago, and we haven't heard from him lately. Can you tell us where the kidnap car is? And Price said, yes, I can do that. Why didn't you ask me? I see a white station wagon about 50 miles north of here. It's parked next to a diner across the freeway from two large water, two large gas storage tanks. And the pedestrian overpass is going across the freeway in pretty specific description. And one of the detectives said, I know where that is. It's on my way home to Vallejo, where I live. So they dispatched a police car. Ten minutes later, they had found the station wagon just where Pat Price said it would be. And they knew it was the right car because when they opened the door, they did not find Patricia Hearst, but they found cartridges on the floor that matched the cartridges we had seen earlier in the day in her apartment just off campus. So that's as close to magic as I've ever seen. Pat just standing in the police station describing precisely where to go to find the kidnap car that pertained to the kidnapping that just occurred a day earlier. Mm. You know, uh, Russell, I want to ask you, I mean, there's so many, so many things that I'd love to talk to you, uh, talk with you about, but there are so many wonderful, wonderful, I mean, eye-opening, uh, paradigm-shattering examples you give in the in this book, The Reality of ESP. Um, and I also want to tell folks out there, you know, if you want to go to the website, ESPresearch.com, um, lots of information. You know, in the book, you mention a number of different people, and I want to talk about a couple of them if we could. Um, can, who has, who has been, let's just say, you know, the most uh, um, uh, interesting, interesting person that you got to research and work with in, in your journey? Who have been, you know, who comes to the top of your list? Well, Ingo Swan created remote viewing as we know it today. Mm-hmm. Ingo is an artist, a natural psychic, and he discovered that it's possible to quiet your mind and describe and experience what's happening anywhere in the world or off the world. So he said, you're wasting my time having me look at envelopes and describe pictures or see what's on the blackboard in the next room. If I want to see what's on the blackboard in the next room, I'll open the door and look. <laughs> I can focus my attention anywhere on the planet and or off, and he demonstrated that he could do that. And unfortunately, Pat Price died last week at 79. Mm. Oh. He was an artist living in New York City, and uh, I'm very sorry to see him go, but yeah. he was the key person in teaching us remote viewing. The reason I wrote this book, among one of the reasons, is that I've been teaching remote viewing now for 20 years since I left the government program. And I have a couple of chapters telling people how to work with a, pro- a partner and develop your own psychic abilities. Now, Ingo Swan taught my partner, Hal Putoff and me, how to do remote viewing. Mm-hmm. And then Hal and I taught six army officers from the Army Intelligence Command, so-called INSCOM. 
we talked six people in the Army how to do remote viewing to create a psychic Army Corps in the late 1970s. And that program ran another dozen years doing psychic spying that they didn't want to give to the psychics in California. They would rather keep it all wrapped up in their own psychic cocoon at Fort Meade in Maryland. But so Ingo taught Hal and me, we taught the Army, and then the Army taught the world. So that if you look on Google and search for remote viewing in quotation marks, there's more than two and a half million pages yeah. dealing with remote viewing. That's quite a lot of pages uh, for something thought by many not to exist. Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, uh, I think that people that read this book are going to be struck by, um, and I think it, it's D Deepak Chopra, as a matter of fact, you know, just put a quote right on the book and, and saying, provides convincing evidence. And I, I looked at that and I thought, okay, this is going to be amazing. There's so much that you've done, so much, so many examples. What do you think is the factor that holds most people back, Russell, from believing this? Even though, even though, I bet if you were to go ask just a whole walking around the streets if they've ever had an intuitive experience, I would imagine that almost all of them would say yes. Because more than half the people in America say that they've had psychic experiences. Because mm -hmm. ESP is a natural experience, the natural yeah. phenomena. And so I'm not really teaching people how to be psychic. I'm giving them permission to make use of an ability they already have. And the most important thing that I can tell you is that it's no harder to describe something going to happen in the future than it is to describe some hidden thing right now. Mm. So the first... I mean, the reason we call ESP a non-local ability is that it's independent of space and time. That is, we've done experiments where you have to describe what's happening in the next room, what's happening in the next country, what's happening in China or Siberia, and all of those work excellently. As Ingo Swan had a task early in our program, the CIA came to us and said, here we are on Monday, What's going to happen at these geographical coordinates, latitude and longitude, next Thursday? Can you look ahead three days to these coordinates? And Price said, oh, that's very pretty. Get me some colored pencils. So I ran downstairs, came back to get him colored pencils, and he drew a beautiful pyrotechnic display with many colors and hemispherical stars up in the sky and trucks off in the background. CIA said, thank you very much. It looks very interesting. And they left. And what he had drawn was a Chinese atomic bomb test that what took place, but it failed. Mm. So what he drew three days in advance is what you get when you burn uranium in the air, but it fails to create a mushroom cloud. So they were trying to make an atomic bomb, and it didn't work. So they wound up burning up a lot of uranium and that's what you call a pyrotechnic display, and he was able to draw that and see it accurately three days in advance. So on Monday, the CIA recognized from their experience that indeed uh, they were Chinese were doing an atomic bomb test just as they thought, and it was going to fail. Mm. 
So one of the things you can learn to do when you go to sleep is make sure you've got a pen and paper by the side of your bed. And when you have unusual or unusually clear dreams, write those down. And you can then learn to separate your anxiety dreams and your wish fulfillment dreams and your dreams with residue from the previous day. You can separate those dreams from the precognitive dreams, which are unusual or unusually clear and have things that are not part of your experience. So you can add to your repertoire these psychic things that are coming your way. And in fact, most people have their first psychic experience through a precognitive dream. Mm. Mm. Carl Jung knew that. Yes. And, you know, there's something that you talk about in the book uh, that, uh, that really relates to what you've just said. I think that for many of us, and, and my own experience has been that, well, I call them daydreams. I don't know what else to call them. But I'll be driving down the highway, and all of a sudden in my windshield, I will see a picture as clear as the picture I'm looking at out of my window right now. And I didn't really know what they were until later on. And what I've, what I've come to know, and I, I'd like to talk to you about this for a little bit, because it has to do with the part in the book where you say, what can, where you ask the question, what, what can we do with our minds? And you talk about mindfulness. Now what happens when I see something like that, or for example, that's how I got the title of the book that I'm writing, I immediately know there's a call to action. There's something for me to do. And I wanted to talk about our minds because you talk about mindfulness as an activity and how we might cultivate that and why that's important for folks. Because if I see a vision that feels like something that's already done and I don't take an action on it, um, it haunts me, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can understand that. See, <laughs> I, spent, I spent a decade sitting in the dark helping people get in touch with their psychic abilities. And what became clear to me is that people are able to focus their minds in the distance or in the future and experience things as though they're at that distant place. That's the remote viewing. So it became obvious that there's more to people than the meat and potatoes that you see when you look at them. That they, who they, they, who they really are is this non-local awareness. Your, your non-local awareness, probably, uh, immortal besides. Mm-hmm. Your, that awareness is independent of space, space and time. One and, of the things, yes, go ahead. I was going to say, and and that was all understood millennia ago. Mm. That is, in the 8th century, uh, Buddhist teacher Padmasambhava wrote a book, a lot like mine, called Self-Liberation Through Seeing with Naked Awareness. And what um, Padmasambhava was a real person. He, He was the one who brought Buddhism from India to Tibet. There wouldn't be any Tibetan Buddhism if it wasn't for him. And he said the reason that there's suffering in the world is that we spend too much time defending the story of who we think we are, defending our ego. 
And if you want to know the world as it is, you have to let go of your desire to name things and grasp onto them and be attached to them and move from conditioned awareness where we reside to naked awareness or timeless awareness, which is where you go when you do remote viewing. And he gives rest a recipe uh, for how to quiet your mind and move to spacious awareness. And I try and do that in simpler English rather than a Sanskrit Tibetan ritual. But he understood that all. Now, of course, the book is available in English. And as an author, it always makes me happy when a book written 1,200 years ago is still in print. That's a good sign. Well, so the idea of remote viewing, how to do it, how to quiet your mind, and how to see into the distance in the future, that was all written down in a lot of detail 1,200 years ago. So the psychic stuff is not new age. This was well understood uh, in the 8th century in Tibet. And we're I, fortunate to have it written down. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, this is really what I love about your book and what, what you've written is because it really takes this phenomenon, it takes it to a level where when people pick up your book and, and read this, you're not just talking about hypothetical. You know, what I love, Russell, about what your work is all about, coming from a research background myself, is 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 just reading about these examples time and time and time again. I mean, let's talk for a minute about distance healing that you talk about in the book, and you talk about the mental influence of this. And this was a me to get to this part of the book and to see that this is something that that you've really taken on. You know, what have you discovered or, or, or what have you found for our listeners um, about distance healing? Well, I've, the first thing that I found is that intuitive diagnosis is the easiest of all psychic abilities. Yeah. <laughs> that is, you can, uh, you can find your car keys or you can make money in the market, but the easiest thing to do is to describe the health of a distant person and what might be the matter with them. And that intuitive diagnosis is something we describe. And what I discovered is that uh, that's the easiest thing to do because we have an affinity with distant people. Now, my daughter Elizabeth was a psychiatrist, and she did a now-famous experiment where she had healers all over America sending their healing intentions to her AIDS patients in San Francisco. So she had 30 control patients who received no distant healing and 30 patients for whom prayers were said, and the people receiving the distant prayers had much better outcomes than the controls. The people that were the recipients of healing intentions had fewer opportunistic illnesses, fewer trips to the hospital, uh, better self-report of their psychology, and we're all together and in better shape. And it was a complete double-blind experiment. The patients didn't know whether or not they were in the healing group, and my daughter Elizabeth Targ did not know which of her patients were in the healing group. But at the end of 10 weeks, it was obvious that one of these groups of people were in much better shape and better health uh, than the other group. 
And she then published that in the Western Medical Journal. And there's now been a number of other replications in other places. So that even if you don't believe in distant healing, if somebody offers to pray for you, you should let them do it because it's helpful. Mm. You know, this is... um. Let, let, let me just ask you a couple of other questions. I would love to know if on your journey, all of the research that you've done, all of the experiences that you've had, what have been or what has been, you know, some of the most mind-blowing, if I might use that term, mind-blowing that you've been part of? Well, one of them I mentioned, standing with Pat Price in the police station, where it's like a Western, they say, which way did they go? And he said they went that way and pointed north and told them exactly how far and where they should go to find the kidnapped car that had kidnapped Patricia Hurst. Mm. He did that. No meditation, no hocus-pocus. Say, you want the police car, you want the kidnapped car, that's where you go. The other thing that was, makes me believe in ESP, the other thing that looks magical is that after I left SRI in 1982, I set up a little operational group called Delphi Associates, and uh, we made uh, we made psychic toys for Atari, and we also were forecasting changes in the silver commodity market. So we were buying silver uh, during against the Hunt brothers in 1982, mm-hmm. and we would forecast each week for nine weeks whether silver would go up a little or up a lot or down a little or down a lot. So we made nine forecasts working with a enthusiastic investor, and we were correct every time. So we made nine successful forecasts for the direction and the amount of the change of silver, and we made $120,000. We're on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. We got to keep the money. Nova made a film about us. So that was a totally win-win-win situation. We showed that psychic abilities not only can find hostages in Iran, but can look into the future and forecast changes in the silver market. Now, it's very hard to read with ESP. So it'd be nice if our psychic could close his eyes and see the numbers up on the big board at the commodity exchange four days in the future. But he can't do that. He can't read. So we had to make use of something called associative remote viewing, which we invented. So instead of trying to read the big board, the broker each week will have four different objects that he'd put on his desk. And each object would be associated by him with a change in the market on that following Friday. So he'd have, um, he'd say, he told, he could tell us at a later time, that the champagne bottle means up a lot, and the Dixie cup means up a little, and the book means down a little, and his leftover pancake from breakfast is down a lot. (sighs) So I wouldn't know any of that. I interview the psychic, and he says, well, my question is never about silver, no grasping for silver. The question is, here we are Monday, what am I going to put in your hand on Friday? What do you experience in your hand? 
a psychic says to me, I see something round, and it's kind of floppy, and it's got a bad smell. Actually, there's a pretty disgusting object you're handing me. I say, well, that's a terrific description. That's full of aesthetic impact, feeling tone things. So I'd call the broker and said, I got a description of this round, floppy, funny-smelling thing. Do you have anything like that? You say, why, yes, one of my objects is my leftover pancake. And I say, well, what does that mean? He said, well, that means silver's going down a lot. And based on the fact that the psychic in Palo Alto saw a pancake in his hand a week in the future, we would sell $20,000 worth of silver. Wow. Even though the Hunt brothers were buying it at the time. And we made some of our biggest wins selling against the rising market. Oh, my gosh. And the fact that we could do that nine times in a row is one of the most mind-blowing things probably in all of ESP research. Because in life, doing anything nine times in a row is impossible. Yeah, pretty ridiculous, right? It is when we think about it. So it can be done. Oh my gosh. You know, I wanted to, um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit, if we could, about some of these incredible people that you've come across as well and you talk about in the book. Uh, Hella is one of them. Some of the, some of the folks that, you know, when I read about this, I think, oh my gosh, you know, does it get any more reliable than some of these folks? Well, Hella was a wonderful person. She was a friend of mine from New York. She was a photographer from Life magazine. And after we had spent two years working with Ingo Swan, who taught us how to be psychic, and Pat Price, who was a remarkable psychic policeman, the CIA said, can't you find us a control person? We want to see what an ordinary person is. And Hella was by no means ordinary, but she promised me she had never done anything like this before, and she was very amused at the idea that we were paying her a significant amount of money to come and learn to be psychic. So she thought that she was just tickled that uh, she found a new job as a psychic for the CIA that just made her laugh. So she came, and we sat down together, and I had to sort of lead her into remote viewing, because Pat Price and Ingo Swan didn't need any teaching, and she became the most reliable psychic on the program. So she came into the control, but year after year, for a decade, uh, she was the journeyman psychic who was always up to do to work with us. Uh, she never had any reservations, and she was also incredibly accurate. So in our formal published experiments in Nature magazine and the proceedings of the Engineering Society, it was her work that was the most statistically significant, more so than anybody, even as she came in as a control person. Wow. And she worked with us for a decade, very successfully and good-humored and good spirits. Mm. So she, she was a live wire, and we were very happy to have her. Someday they'll make a film about our work starring Hella Hammond. Well, you know, that's what I was just going to ask you. I mean, everything that I 
is what movies are made of. And, you know, when I started talking about the show, Russell, and I was talking about you, I mean, it was, you know, I had this moment where I thought, you know, this is really, this is the stuff that films are being made of, made from today. But the problem is that the films that are in our pop culture don't present as real. They present as fantasy or they present as horror or they present as science fiction. But what you've done is you've brought the reality to this, you know, and that's what, why you call this the reality of ESP. And I wanted to take a minute here. I know this hour has gone so quickly. I wanted to take a minute to ask you what might people do to hone in on this this what can we do to to practice and become better at this well the first thing you have to do is find a friend to work with this okay i've got two. one of those yep you're very fortunate it's a two-person game and what you need your friend for is to guide you so your friend will find a little objects are much easier to describe than pictures so when i do a workshop I always have a whole suitcase full of junk for people to describe. So you want your friend to bring you a little object, and the object should be interesting. No no pencils or bobby pins. Your friend should bring you something that's worth describing. And then in the very beginning, you will quiet your mind and make a little sketch of what she brought you. The main thing you have to learn is that you're not trying to guess what it is. You don't want to get halfway through and say, oh, I know it's a Swiss Army knife or potato peeler. You you don't want to guess uh, for several reasons. One of them is that psychic abilities is a non-analytic ability. So it's very, very unlikely that in the images you see in your mind's awareness, you'll be able to recognize what the object is. So for a beginning remote viewer, you just want to look for a surprising image in your awareness. You you recognize you don't know what the hell that is, but if you can make a nice drawing of whatever crazy thing shows up in your awareness, it's very likely that it will match what your partner has brought you. So you really have to surrender. It's the idea you can't be right if you don't agree to be wrong. Mm. You have to surrender and be willing to draw something even though you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And then you take a break, and you take another look, and maybe more will come to view. And as you practice, you'll begin to get feelings of what the texture and the weight and the material and the color is. So you'll do this several times, and your partner will lead you. First, you're just looking for the diaphanous images that appear in your awareness. Then you take a break. You look again, see what else is there, what else comes to view. Can you tell me about the shape or the color? Then you take another break and say, imagine you're holding it in your hand. What is the weight of this? What does the uh, material feel like? And I spell this all out. I have two chapters describing how to work with a partner to do remote viewing. But it's very helpful to have your partner to guide you because if you're a beginning remote viewer, you see something round and shiny, you're done because you've sort of looked at your awareness, 
you've got this interesting thing pop into view, and you really hate to let go of it. And you need your your viewer to, you need your guide to say, yes, we've got that down on paper. What else do you see? Tell me more. Mm-hmm. And eventually, your interviewer will come with several objects and then mix up the bags so that she can still guide you, but she won't know what the target is. See, in the beginning, if your partner knows what the target is, there's telepathic leakage. So she will be sitting there uh, visualizing a wine goblet, and you'll be trying to draw it, and you can't tell whether you've made contact with the object in the bag or whether you're reading her mind. And you specifically don't want to teach yourself to read the mind of your guide, but it's okay in the beginning because what you want to learn how to do is get psychic images out of your subconscious, and it sort of doesn't matter where they came from to start with. But as soon as you see a little glimmer of success, you want to start doing double-blind trials, because otherwise you'll set up a psychic bond with your teacher, which won't help you in traffic. Mm. Mm. Wow. You know, Russell, um, this And all been... that's quite doable. That I've taught hundreds of people in workshops how to do just what I'm describing. Well, you know, I'm really thrilled. First of all, I'm, I'm so thrilled about the book that you wrote. Uh, because what happens, I think, a lot of times for some of us that, you know, at a very early age <laughs> started to get a little bit more of information than we knew what to do with, you know, there are so many people out in the world today, whether you call them crystal children or it doesn't matter. They, they seem to be connected or at least talking about it in ways that we didn't growing up. And I wanted to ask you, is that a, is that a, is that a real statement? I mean, that statement I just made, you know, are we talking about it more? Are there well, more? Well, one of the people? things that's new is that modern physics says that we live in a non-local space-time. Uh-huh. That is, modern physics has finally caught up with Padmasambhava and said, yes, separation is an illusion. Uh, things that appear separate from one another can indeed be connected, and they're connected because we live in a non-local space-time. So this non-locality is a property of the universe. Mm -hmm. The Hindus knew that 3,500 years ago, that whenever you see a little yin-yang symbol, that's a symbol saying that your consciousness fills all of space-time, that is your yin your your identification, your heart, your your Atman mm-hmm. is the same as Brahman. Atman mm-hmm. equal Brahman. Your self or your awareness is one with all of physical and non-physical space-time. No separation. The teaching of the little yin-yang symbol is that there's no separation. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tell people it's a church of non-duality. Mm. And that's very much like modern physics, which talks about non-locality, in mm. that things that occur are independent of space and time. Uh, photons, elementary particles of light that are born together, travel away from each other at the speed of light, and they're still connected. 
So these are like your star children who are still connected to one another after they move away. And we see that particularly with identical twins. Identical twins who are born together and raised apart still have amazing connections with one another. Mm-hmm. One of the things that is uh, so fascinating, and, and this is really kind of you know cool and getting to read the book and talk to you about this, Russell, is what is next on the horizon? I want to take a few minutes to talk about this because, you know, I think if you'd uh, talked to people 50 years ago, and of course, you know, you did uh, and others have about, you, you know, having this conversation fast forward Yeah, we've been today. doing this a lot. We started the program at mm-hmm. SRI, at Stanford Research Institute. That program started 40 years ago. So we've mm-hmm. been, I've been at this a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But think about, let's think about where we are today and how fast things are moving. Well, where the new, where the do you see question, the future of this going? Well, the new question that has to be answered mm-hmm. is about precognitive dreams. Mm. For example, I can have a dream... Recently, I had a dream about an electric train running around the upper part of the ceiling in my living room. And I Mm. thought that was pretty crazy and told my wife about it. And then the very first thing I saw on my monitor is I have the New York Times for homepage. Mm -hmm. So in the morning at 8 o'clock, I grab a cup of coffee, sit down on my monitor, see what's on the Times. And what was on the front page of my screen was the... a story about the elevated downtown Chicago. The elevated train is 100 years old, and that train runs in a circle 12 blocks around, around the downtown loop. The reason that downtown Chicago is called the loop is because the elevated train runs in a circle around it, and I grew up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So what I was dreaming about with the electric train around the top of my living room was a reflection that I was about to see a picture of the elevated train running around Chicago as a feature story. It was the photograph on the front page of the New York Times on the day that I was dreaming about the elevated trains. Mm-hmm. So what, what I would say is that my 8 o'clock experience seeing the elevated was the cause of my dream two hours earlier. Oh, wow. And that's a retrocausal event. That mm-hmm. is, the past is being affected by the, the future is affecting the past. Mm-hmm. Something, something at eight o'clock is causing something to happen two hours earlier. And that kind of retrocausality is a hot topic in modern physics, because most things in physics, the earlier thing causes the later thing, rather than the other way around. And that's what has me excited these days: the nature of causality. I'll tell you, that is really exciting as well. There's so much that um, has been talked about in terms of the, you know, the law of attraction. I mean, I'm sure you've heard about that. And what does it mean to set intention? But I think most of the material that has been written about it, you know, is missing so much of what you talk about in this book. There seems like there's almost a disconnect between, you know, what's coming out in, in sort of the human potential movement about intention and what you've actually a- have been able to demonstrate, you know, in your research. Yeah, what we showed is that people can quiet their mind and visualize 
what's waiting for them in the future. When I left SRI, I was able to quiet my mind and see the Lockheed buildings where I would later be working. Oh, wow. So, And, and that, that's what I did a, a year later. So that information is available. The book is called The Reality of ESP, The Physicist's mm-hmm. Proof of Psychic Abilities. And you can see a lot of the things we're talking about on my website, which is ESPResearch.com. And you can write to me at my website as well. Oh, I can't thank you enough, Russell, for joining me here today. Boy, I I, I hope that you uh, will come back to the show again. There's so much that I would love for our listeners to know about you and your work and your book. Thank you so much for a fabulous, fabulous conversation. I'm very happy to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity. And I, I want to also thank you for being courageous and stepping out into the world and taking this on. Uh, in some of the most trying, uh, skeptical times of our lives. <laughs> well, I just want to encourage people to get in touch with the part of themselves that is psychic, because mm-hmm. that's the exciting place to be. Thank you so much, Russell. Russell Targ, everybody. Thank guys you. out there that are listening to this show. I think he, Russell was a little bit modest about his website. I would love for you to go to his website, ESPResearch.com, but also I would love for you guys to get a copy of this book. We're going to actually be talking about this tomorrow at 11 o'clock on my 11 o'clock show, but go to the website, ESPResearch.com. I want to tell everybody there is so much information there. You not only get to know more about the man, but you get to know more about the miracle. Thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. For more information or if you have missed any of this, please go to the drpatshow.com or transformationtalkradio.com. Russell, again, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. We'll see you next time. of great challenges and greater opportunity for transformation. The good news is that public awareness of the need for change is also growing exponentially. More than ever, your transformative message is needed to empower millions across the globe. Hi, I'm Dr. Pat, host of the Dr. Pat Show, and I'm excited about announcing an unprecedented opportunity for growth as we expand our broadcast by launching Transformation Talk Radio and the Transformation Network. Join me and a team of amazing people 
and host your own show on Transformation Talk Radio. Get ready to expand your horizons, tap into the best listeners anywhere, and join one of the most positive and expansive networks today. Historically, there came a time when the boundary of water was transcended as man developed the boat and the barriers of water became freeways. Join Dr. Pat as she launches this exciting venture. To host a show, call 1-800-930-2819 or email host at transformationtalkradio.com. Transformation Talk Radio, a higher consciousness perspective. The hosts on Transformation Talk Radio offer a positive and new paradigm shift, a new vision for a collective future. They are empowering and helping all of us experience a powerful wave of personal shifts and cultural change as we break through to even greater levels of awareness. Take down our toll-free number, 1-800-930-2819. Call in, connect, make sure you tap into some of the world's most empowering psychics, healers, and more. Get an on-air reading with the best. Tune in, TransformationTalkRadio.com. Hey, everybody. We'll see you there. And now I love. I feel like fear just cripples you and love frees you. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing and changing from fear to love and showing people that that's the only way. I love, I love, I love. I no longer fear. Thank you. You're tuned in to Transformation Talk Radio. Think that Dr. Pat chose the cat's meow? Just listen to what some of her transformative guests have had to say. What's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with? Uh, Believe in yourself always. Remember that uh, you are a gift. You are a miracle. And the only way you can return any part of that gift is what you do with it. Live into yourself. Be that miracle. I love it. Eldon Taylor, everyone. And and thank you, Pat. I love joining you. You're a wonderful host. Thank you. And we're going to bring Eldon back because we we just haven't even scratched the surface here. Thank you all for tuning us in, turning us on. Thank you for listening. And keep us tuned in right here on Transformation Talk Radio. Transformation Talk Radio is designed to attract people like you and like me. Millions of people across the globe are looking to up-level their lives. If you have a message and want to take it out on Transformation Talk Radio, make sure you give us a call, 1-800-930-2819, or send an email to host at transformationtalkradio.com and get ready to host your own show on one of the fastest-growing transformative networks in the world. Transformation Talk Radio. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Our hosts are setting a new standard for a fresh kind of talk radio, creating conversations that are transforming the world, one listener at a time. Transformation Talk Radio's mission is to broadcast a distinct blend of live talk radio interviews with a mix 
of uplifting and intelligent news, educational and practical information. Topics range from personal development to critical issues relevant to a rapidly changing world. Stay tuned. Transformation Talk Radio starts at the top of every hour 